Hello, and welcome back to the Palette Plug Podcast. I am your host, Kyle. Today we have here Matt McGowan, right? I said that right? right. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) I know you just told me, but I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, He is from Timber Products Inspection. Um, Today we're going to be talking about what Timber Products Inspection does, how it's related to the pallet industry, what Matt specifically does over there, uh, some regulations and rules to follow when it comes to heat treatment and things in regards to pallets and wood. So very excited for this conversation. Matt, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So would you mind giving us a, a brief introduction who you are over at Timber Products, what you do over there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and thank you so much, Kyle, for inviting me on this uh, podcast. I, I think this is a, a great medium to help uh, uh, spread the information regarding uh, this program and uh, just have looked forward to finally getting together with you. I know we've been working on this for quite some time, <laughs> yeah. so uh, I'm glad we finally were able to get it all put together. Absolutely. So uh, what my position is here at Timber Products Inspection, I am the Director of Wood Packaging. Uh, So anything that's related to the packaging industry where solid wood is used to manufacture pallets, crates, boxes, whatever that packaging may be, uh, I oversee those clients that are working with us in in the various programs. And there's, there's a couple of programs that we work with. We have uh, the big program and what we're going to be talking about today is the IPPC program. Uh, the IPPC is actually a treaty. It stands for the International Plant Convention. Okay. But it is a treaty that is overseen by the United Nations uh, hmm. Food and Agricultural Organization. And uh, what, it, what it was established for was to oversee the... The regulations related to the movement of plant and plant products. Okay. And so uh, the one that we're going to specifically talk about today is related to wood packaging. That is the International Standard for Phytosanitary Measures, Document 15, what we lovingly call ISPM 15. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, So ISPM 15 is the document that regulates wood packaging internationally. Now, uh, uh, to talk a little bit more about how that works internationally is that every country has a national plant protection organization that oversees this program within their country. Uh, For the U.S., that's the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Gotcha. Uh, The way the U.S. Department of Agriculture implements it in, in this country is by using a group called the American Lumber Standard Committee, ALSC, to implement the program. And the way they implement it is they establish agencies like Timber Products Inspection to go out and do the field auditing, and then they have their own set of inspectors, a smaller group of inspectors that actually goes out and makes sure that the inspection agencies like Timber Products are doing a proper job in overseeing the facilities that are under their monitoring program. Gotcha. So that's, that's kind of um, uh, how everything works in a nutshell. Okay. So there's people checking on you guys even to ensure that you're inspecting exactly. properly. Okay. Exactly. There is accountability uh, all up the chain. And the okay. USDA in turn checks on the American Lumber Standard Committee to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be. Gotcha. All right. So everybody's kind of checking in on everybody, making sure that everybody's following the rules. (laughs) That's exactly right. Gotcha. Okay. And so from there, um, so are are you guys, you're an independent company that works with the government. Exactly. Exactly. We're not a government agency. A a third party auditing group uh, that is involved where uh, ALSC is kind of a liaison uh, between the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the agencies that work underneath their oversight. Okay, gotcha. And so kind of moving moving on from there, like what are the, the things that you guys are checking for 
and ensuring our meeting the standards. Well, actually, let's let's talk about like what is the standard first. Okay. Or the the regulations. It's a great question. So, uh, you know, before this all came about, um, the the IPPC that treaty's been around since 1951, mm-hmm. uh, and when uh, somewhere along the way uh, they came to the, de- the, the the decision that or the thought that there was a lot of movement of pests that were coming in mm-hmm. through wood packaging, whether it be pallets or crates, and and so what they're trying to do with this program is to prevent pests that may uh, be originate from one country where the trees and the forest have a natural defense to it to going to another country where those mm. trees may not have the same natural defenses and there and then those insects would devastate uh, the the forests in that country we've seen that in a couple of instances here in the US with the emerald ash borer yeah and the longhorned Asian beetle okay uh, these were two insects that that made their way into the U.S. from China. You know, the thought is, the theory is that they came in on wood packaging, though that's not been proven, though that was the consensus that they came up with. Uh, But enough of that was happening in other countries that uh, they thought that uh, it would be best to establish a program like this in order to ensure uh, that those pests are not, you know, easily moving from one country to another. So uh, what the standard is, is that uh, wood packaging uh, has to be treated in some way. Uh, 99% of the way it's treated is with heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the other 1% is through fumigation. Okay. And fumigation typically is the, uh, is the treatment of last resort. Typically something ends up going to the port. Uh, and then whoever sent it there realizes that uh, they needed to have it treated before it goes onto a container oh. or into a vessel. And so then they call a fumigator to come out and fumigate the material. Wow. Uh, but most of it is done with heat. And okay. so you'll, you'll see when you're looking at, at lumber, uh, and it's become such a common practice to heat treat material, and it's very easy for... Uh, sawmills, especially like uh, mills that produce pine or some other softwood uh, to, in their kill drying process, to heat treat it as well. And uh, because they're raising the temperature in order to cook that that lumber and in the process of cooking it, they're also heat treating it. So when you when you buy a piece of lumber, when you're looking at the grade, you're going to see, you know, there's a there's a grade mark on it. You're going to see the uh, inspection agency on that. You're also going to see uh, a mill number or some sort of mill identification. And then you're going to see the term KDHT typically. Okay. When you see the KDHT, the HT is what we're concerned about in this program. And that means that, that that material has been treated to a point where it can be used to make wood packaging that can receive the IPPC mark. Gotcha. Well, so could we could we take a second? Would you mind explaining the difference between kill drying, kiln drying and, and heat treating? Certainly. Uh, kill drying is related to moisture. Okay. So uh, a kill dried piece of wood, according to the USDA, is anything that is less than 20% moisture content. Okay. Heat treatment is related to heating the core of the wood up to a certain temperature for a certain period of time. For the program, uh, it is for IPPC standards. It's 133 uh, degrees. That's 56 degrees Celsius okay. for 30 consecutive minutes, and that's the core of the wood. Hmm. So when you're when you're measuring the heat of the wood when you're heat treating it, uh, you're typically using a probe that is inserted in the center of the wood to measure the, the heat. Now kills, uh, you know, like we were talking about before, they raise the temperature so high in those kills for 
a period of time that's long enough that uh, there's a certainty that that core is meeting that minimum time temperature requirement. Uh, so, you know, to answer your question, heat treatment was related to temperature and time in okay. the core of the wood. Kill drying is related to the moisture content uh, in the core of the wood as well. Gotcha. Okay. So both is involving the core temperature well, core of the wood. One is temperature related. The other is moisture content. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. See, I, I thought that and I was just like, I want to confirm. I want to make sure that anybody listening also has the opportunity to, to learn that too. Because I, I, I didn't know that most things are like, I'm thinking in the sense of lumber versus pallet right like uh, if you heat treat lumber you still have to reheat treat it as a pallet right or how does that no, work no not at all oh so if if so and and this is very common uh, especially with large manufacturers um, of pallets you know where they would bring in uh, wood that has been kill dried and heat treated the kdht lumber they may bring it in directly from the mills and they would bring in you know, two by fours and two by sixes, you know, they would, you know, they are and two by eights. They can rip those down, cut them up. Uh, as long as that material came in with the HT mark on each piece, hmm. that in turn can be cut up and made into pallets and receive the IPPC mark. Really? So, but each individual piece of wood has to have its own heat treat stamp. That's correct. Wow. Okay. And it doesn't, lose that throughout the manufacturing process like putting nails in it doesn't change that no no not at all now could they they are they able to sell it as heat treated pallets even though they didn't heat treat it themselves yes as long as it came into the facility as uh marked as heat treated gotcha and they can in turn cut it up uh, build a pallet out of it or whatever wood packaging material they want to build, and then they can apply an IPPC mark to it. Now, there's one other element uh, in this, and that is the bark. There is a bark restriction hmm. uh, in the IPPC program. And so the bark cannot exceed an inch and three sixteenths uh, on any piece of wood. If it does, then it has to be removed to the point that it's below that. And uh, once it's removed, then uh, it can, uh, those two elements, the heat treating and the bark, is what makes it uh, eligible to receive an IPPC mark once it's built into wood packaging. Okay, gotcha. And the IPPC mark is that uh, ISPM 15 stamp, is that correct? Some people call it an ISPM 15 stamp. Some call it the WPM stamp. Some people call it the IPPC stamp. Uh, <laughs> I kind of prefer IPPC okay. uh, because uh, it is, you know, it is on the stamp itself. You know, the stamp uh, is made up of two boxes. There's a thinner box uh, that has the wheat symbol in it. It's a wheat symbol uh, and has the IPPC on one side of the um, of the wheat, and then to the right of that, you're going to have uh, another box. At the top of that box, inside, is going to be a country code. Hmm. Uh, you know, so it's U.S. for this country. Mm-hmm. Below that is going to be a number identification for the facility that that uh, mark is assigned to. So it's kind of like a license, uh, and that. You know, when that material goes overseas, you know, if there is any issue with it, customs can take that number, send it to the USDA, and the USDA can immediately determine who was the manufacturer of that pallet and put that that mark on it. Uh, underneath that number is the treatment type, which is typically HT okay. for heat treat. All right, so you've got those two boxes, and then to the right of those two boxes on the outside is the uh, agency identification. Uh, okay. uh, so uh, for us, it would there would there's a TP mark, uh, a trademark there to identify 
us as the agency that is monitoring that particular facility. Gotcha. Okay. Lots of numbers. <laughs> yeah. But it, there's, a, there's a good bit of information on it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's meant to be that way. You know, yeah. So customs, when, when something comes in, a container, uh, it's got product on it, customs can open that up and they can glean whatever information they need. Hopefully there's no issue. Typically there's no issue. But if there is, you know, they know exactly where to go back to uh, to address the issue. Makes sense. Now, and I apologize if I derailed uh, what you what you were wanting to discuss. Is did you want to? I'm trying to remember backtrack where we were before I cut you off there. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. These are all very good questions, Kyle, and I'm glad you're bringing them up because it's it's all part of the program. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's there's actually when a facility enters into the program, uh, there's two areas that an agency is going to monitor. And okay. uh, one of those is the administrative side and the other is the operational side. So on the administrative side, you know, we're going to come in, uh, a facility is going to be required to document and keep track of the board footage of whatever heat treated lumber they're receiving into the facility. Okay. And so they're going to they're going to have uh, kind of a, a summary sheet that's going to show the different loads that are coming in. Uh, they'll have uh, you know another sheet or some backup information that's going to show the bills of lading and that that prove that whatever they're documenting on the on the information uh, is actually verifiable as heat treated material coming in. Uh, for anything that receives a stamp, they're going to have to calculate that board footage. And what we do then is when we come in at the beginning or of every month, we're going to look at the preceding month at what they received versus what they shipped in board footage. And as long as what they have an in inventory of received heat treated board footage exceeds what they shipped, everything is okay. Okay. Uh, if, for example, so for example, if we go in and we look at their received information and it shows that they received 100,000 feet mm -hmm. and they built and stamped 50,000 feet of material that shipped that month, then what they received is greater than what they shipped, that, that's fine. Okay. The problem comes up if they had 100,000 feet of material and in inventory that they had received and had from the previous month, and we look at what they shipped, and there's 125,000 feet there. It's like, well, where did the 25,000 feet of, of heat-treated material come from? Because you're <laughs> yeah. not showing that you received that, and it gotcha. wasn't in your inventory. So that, that creates an issue uh, within the administrative side of, of the um, – of the program. Gotcha. On the other hand is the, uh, is the operational side. And there's, there's a couple of areas of that, you know, first of all, we're going to look at received material that they're identifying as heat treated. And we're going to just check and make sure that what they're bringing in is marked. Uh, so, you know, we'll walk around the yard, look at, at, uh, the received material and ensure that, uh, what they're showing as being received as heat treated actually has been properly marked. Okay. Um, from there, uh, we're going to look at wood packaging material that has been marked. Uh, and if that, and we're going to sample that material. If that sample of material shows that uh, it's been legibly marked, that uh, there's uh, no bark that exceeds the restriction, and that, uh, see the mark, the, that there is proof of heat treatment mm -hmm. of that material, then that passes what the requirements would be for the program and everything is fine. Okay. If, if we went in and looked at the material and there was an issue with the legibility of the mark. So mm -hmm. you know, when we're looking at marks, it's all or nothing. So if you're looking at a mark, you know, it's got to have everything readable in there. You know, we've got to be able to distinguish the border. And, you know, the way I, I say it is that if my mom can read it, 
then I would consider it legible. Gotcha. That's fair. It makes sense. Uh, you know, my is mom's there? 80s, so you know, it's it's. <laughs> is there? Is there fake marks? Like, do do people do that? Is that a thing to look out for? That's a great question, and uh, yes, it, there are fraudulent marks out there. Uh, there are facilities uh, that, and this this typically occurs on the recycling side. So, okay, you know, there there's two areas of pallet um, manufacture. One right. is the manufacture of new pallets. Mm-hmm. Uh, those pallets can either be manufactured. Uh, with heat-treated lumber, or they can be manufactured with non-heat-treated material, either Mm -hmm. partially or wholly. In that circumstance, then that material would need to be heat-treated and before it could be uh, eligible to receive an IPPC mark. Okay. And uh, then there's the recycling side, where uh, facilities are bringing in pallets that have been used previously. Uh, Some of them may have an IPPC mark on them. Some of them may not. They're going to go through these pallets. Uh, If any of those pallets have broken boards, uh, they're going to repair them and then um, prepare them so that they can be used again. This is a great and very important part of the wood packaging program because this is critical for the sustainability side of of using wood pallets yeah and so uh the recycling those recyclers out there are a very very important part of of the overall packaging uh in this industry and so we're you know we and and we're we're honored to be able to work with so many of them in this industry. Uh, but when that occurs, then they have to have some way of heating or retreating those pallets with heat on site. And that's usually with what's called a heat chamber. A uh, heat chamber can be uh, something that is purchased by a heat chamber manufacturer or a kill manufacturer who, ma- who makes heat chambers as well. Okay. Or they can make their own heat chamber uh, Hmm. a lot of times using a a refrigerated van uh, and uh, taking off the the refrigeration unit, retrofitting it because it's insulated. Yeah. Retrofit it with a heating unit into a heat chamber. Now that's cool. That is kind of a custom homemade type, situation yeah there are certain requirements that have to be met in order for them to use it as a heat chamber okay but once they're using it as a heat chamber uh you know they can retreat the pallets and then they can apply their mark but they have to remove any of the old marks and obliteration is what we call that gotcha um and obliteration is just like legibility it's all or nothing so if they spray out the mark or they mm-hmm. paint out the mark, it's it's all or nothing. So if you can see a corner of, of the border, it's not considered obliterated. If wow. you spray it and the, the paint bleeds into the palette and so you can see the mark again, then it's not considered obliterated. It's gotta be it's gotta be completely gone from the palette. Interesting. And this is both on the outside and on the inside of the palette. Oh, okay. That's that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Like if they turn the board around and it still has exactly. the mark on it. Gotcha. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So it's one extra step for the recycler. Mm-hmm. You know, so they not only have to meet the bark requirement, they have to meet the red, um, the um, legibility requirement. They've got to meet the heat treat requirement by putting it back to the heat chamber. But they've also got to meet the obliteration requirement of any old stamps on any of that Um that they're going to send out as and represent as IPPC conforming. Gotcha. I want to, I want to pause right there because I got a couple questions for you from that. So we were talking about the new manufacturing of pallets. Do you see more often that those are the companies that are purchasing heat treated lumber 
off the bat and then they're building the pallets with that or do they still buy non-heat treated lumber and heat treat the pallet themselves? It depends on the requirements of their customer. Um, you know, okay. But I would say that most of the uh, companies that are manufacturing new wood packaging are buying the heat treated lumber from the mills. Gotcha. Uh, you know, when you're talking about recycling, uh, mm-hmm. you're talking about looking at pallets that may have, um, they may not be something that is worth repairing anymore. Mm-hmm. So those pallets then go through a, uh, a process at the facility where they're broken up mm-hmm. and the deck boards are separated. You know, any deck boards that are beyond use could get grounded up or, or done something else with right. those, those deck boards that are still usable. Uh, they'll be uh, collected and then put back into other pallets. Okay. So right. there are, uh, so they're kind of, you know, if you, if you brought in 12,000 pallets and you go through it, you know, you may have 1200 pallets that, and I don't know what the percentage is of, of, uh, pallets that are actually recycled and, and pallets that are actually broken apart and used as part of the recycling process of the other pallets. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's a common practice within the industry to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's a hard one to gauge too. It's probably based off your customers and where you're getting your recycled pallets from, how, how well the, uh, the forklift driver like is, is at doing his job. You know? <laughs> well, and you know, but, but those guys, I mean, they know what they're doing. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they, um, are very smart about their business and they, um, you know, they, they have a good idea as to what they're doing and, you know, and what is going to be, and what their percentages are going to be for material that can be reclaimed uh, in boards and what material can be reclaimed as pallets. Right. So, and, and so in, in regards to the recycling, those guys most of the time have a kiln, whether it's homemade or purchased, <laughs> they have them on site because they need to, even if the pallet comes in, has a stamp, they don't necessarily know that could have been a recycled previously recycled pallet that maybe didn't have the heat treat stamp removed. So they, they have to break the pallet down, make sure that they uh, destroy the mark and then reheat treat it themselves. Well, and, and, and so the challenge on the recycling side, when you're looking at it, because there is, there is something called the reused pallet, uh, right? What we used to call a pass through. So, okay. uh, you know, so a, a recycling facility can go through their pallets if they would like to, and they can uh, identify those pallets that are, you know, what we would call pristine. They don't, they don't appear to have been repaired in the past and the facility that has them doesn't repair them. Mm-hmm. And in those circumstances, then those pallets can be segregated from the other pallets that came in and they can be represented as, uh, as meeting IPPC conformance and shipped back out. Uh, but if a pallet appears to have been repaired in the past, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of ways of telling that, you know, yeah. are, you know, do the, are the boards a different color? Uh, <laughs> are the, you know, you got rusted nails from the pallet being in use and you got shiny nails on there <laughs> right. now because, um, because the pallet, had been repaired, you know, the last time it was used. And so yeah. there's ways of determining that. So if there's any, if you, if, if a facility sees anything like that, then that pallet is going to have to go back into the system to where the old marks are removed. It's retreated. And, uh, the facility that has it, that does the treating on it would apply their mark. Gotcha. See, that's, I, I'm like thinking about it because in within like Facebook group that I have and, and with the conversations that I've had with people, um, there's always the common, you know, can you resell a heat treated pallet? But that's where I'm thinking like that, that line is very fine in which you, you're responsible ultimately. If you ship the pallet out and it has a stamp on it, but it's not your stamp, you know, like how I don't, I'm just thinking like, um, 
it's almost sounds like they're better off just heat treating everything themselves if they're a recycler. And a lot of them, a lot of them make that decision because they don't want any, any guessing as to whether something meets conformance or not. And, and so they, they err to the side of caution and mm-hmm. they just go ahead and, and retreat everything that they're going to put a mark on and every, every pallet. And this is something that a company has to determine on their own is, is the segregating of those pallets for, uh, the term being a reused or pass through pallet is the is the cost of doing that segregation worth uh, uh, being able to identify that and and only we have to remember too this is only for facilities that are actually in uh, the IPPC program if hmm. if a recycling facility is not in the program they cannot represent anything that they're selling as IPPC conforming. Okay. Gotcha. So if, you know, and the only way that the only way that they could represent something that they would, they would send out to someone as IPPC conforming is if they had sent it to someone who heat treated it for them and applied their mark to that, to that set of pallets. Is there a agreement that has to be written up for that or, or how, how would that work? Like say, say I wanted to sell pallets that were heat treated by somebody else. Is that between me and the business who did that, that I'm able to do that? And I'm basically using their certification. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that happens all the time with brokers. Right. Uh, That was a broker is going to be buying from, you know, whoever, uh, that's in the program because they want an uh, IPPC conforming pallets that can ship internationally. And it's, it's, it is the facility that is identifying the material as heat treated either because they bought the material in as heat treated or they heat treated it themselves. Those are the facilities that apply the stamp. Okay. And that's how, that's how a facility, a recycler that's not in the program could represent a load as heat treated if it came from a heat treating facility, but they can't represent anything that they're shipping themselves uh, straight from their facility as IPPC conforming if they're not in a program because they don't know how to monitor for it. Yeah, they have nobody. They have nobody that's monitoring them to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. That- and this is this is where we run into the situation with fraudulent stamps like you okay. were talking about. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my uh, a lot of what I do is fairly mundane. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I love talking to the facilities. I love working with people. And there, there are so many great people in this industry. Yeah. But one of the more interesting areas that I work in is the fraudulent stamp side where gotcha. you know, somebody will report that they've seen a fraudulent stamp. And um, as long as I can get enough information, I'm on a plane to go checking it out. Wow. And uh, I'm usually, I usually contact and coordinate it with one of my inspectors uh, because I typically need a a witness there. (laughs) Okay. Because if, you know, um, uh, it has many times when I have caught someone with a fraudulent stamp, uh, they will come back and say that, you know, I was rifling through their files. I was, I was getting on their uh, computers without authorization. I was <laughs> cursing. I was yelling. What? And, you know, none of that is true. Yeah, so I can't. have to have someone there that witnesses that, you know, for one thing, I don't cuss. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very careful about how I approach these things. And yeah. You got to get yourself a body cam. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, But I, uh, but you know, we've been, we've been very successful over the years in uh, retrieving fraudulent marks and holding facilities that have used uh, marks without authorization, uh, holding them accountable for that. So how, how does, what does that look like? It's, it's like someone received this pallet it has a stamp on it, but they were able to determine that it was not actually heat treated or they 
ran the information on the stamp and they were able to it didn't come back with anything like how, how does that how do you how can you figure out that something's fraudulent uh, well a, a lot of that comes from you know uh, being notified by our facilities and uh, or ALSC uh, will contact us and tell us that they found them but you know a lot of times it, it comes from a facility that uh, may be competing with someone mm. and you know, they've, they've lost a client or a customer because someone else is selling them and they go in there and they find a fraudulent mark. And so they'll, you know, they'll send that mark to me and, and our, our trademark is very unique. And so I can tell pretty quickly by looking at the stamp, whether it's a fraudulent mark or not. I see. Okay. And, and so, you know, for, at that point, you know, I'll start doing some backtracking and, uh, you know, eventually figure out where the mark came from. And then, you know, that's when I get another inspector and we go in and we, we will confront the facility and try and retrieve the marks and take it from there. So it's a little bit of detective work is, is what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Uh, I, I enjoy that part of it. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's become, you know, fortunately it's become less and less of an issue, but it, it tends to come in waves. You know, I won't see anything for, you know, eight or nine months. And then all of a sudden there's three of them and why that happens. I don't know, but it's really? just the way it works. Interesting. And it's, they're all different places in which that those pallets came from. You're saying, um, what do you mean? Like, like you're saying there's three different instances of yeah, yeah. different. It, it's, it's, it'll be three completely separate instances, gotcha. you know, you know, and you know, one will be in the upper Midwest, another will be out West and the other one's in Miami, Florida. So it doesn't, gotcha. they don't, they don't make it very convenient for you. That's for <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> that I, I, I'm like, it's interesting to hear about that. Cause I was always curious. I feel like, like I was saying before the, the heat treatment, is always a topic of conversation for people. So to hear about the the fraudulent aspect of it and also um, like the the way it actually works, the proper way that it needs to be done is is very interesting too. So so normally when you're you're not doing your detective work, what what is it that you're doing? Very mundane work. <laughs> yeah, well, we want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's you know, there are uh, a lot of questions because the, the program, uh, the way it is set up, uh, it is general enough to cover a lot of different scenarios. Okay. But because it, it can be general, you end up with a lot of nuances in the program. And I work, uh, you know, we work very closely with the American Lumber Standard Committee to make sure that, you know, we are interpreting the requirements and the way they need to be required, uh, they need to be interpreted and communicating that to our clients. And, okay. and we, we do that through our inspectors or a lot of times clients are calling me and uh, with a, a situation that they want to talk about. And so, I, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time on the phone uh, talking to clients, which again, I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, I do uh, a lot of report review because we have a lot of reports coming in and there's, there's a lot to be reviewed and I do have help with that, but there's still a lot of reports that need to be reviewed over the course of a month. And so I would say the majority of my time is, is interacting with our clients, okay. uh, interacting with uh, our supervisors and inspectors when they have questions or want to run something by me and then uh, reviewing reports. Okay. Gotcha. And so when you're, on site you don't do you go on site i, I forget because yeah, you ran yeah, into Corey right at at travis's location what was what's the name of that facility i want to say it's like l and m it's it's down in texas near like lubbock area okay yeah i mean i've i've spent some time in that area so i'm sure that i ran into into him and he said you gave him a hat <laughs> 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 or maybe it wasn't you. I he I think he thought it was you, or he said it, it was you. So <laughs> who knows? Well, we, we don't mind giving away hats and t-shirts. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. That's but so right. when when you're on site, what is it mostly education? Is it mostly um, you know making sure that their machines are working properly? Like, what are you doing when you're you're on site with people? Uh, it's mainly related to the program, Kyle. It's it's um, you know I don't get involved with with machinery or okay. anything like that. Uh, you know, I will make recommendations if it comes to something related to the program, like, uh, you know, uh, different ways of obliterating marks gotcha, or, or different ways of applying a mark mm-hmm. or, you know, what tools are best to remove bark from, you know, from material, uh, because sometimes that can be very challenging, uh, to do for a facility. You know, you've mm-hmm. got, you know, and, and one of the things is, from an educational standpoint, when you're talking bark, you know, you've got your outer bark, you've got your inner bark, and you got your cambium. And so the outer bark and the inner bark is what needs to be removed. Okay. And then you've got this small uh, single cell cambium layer that does not have to be removed. But if okay. you can see any thickness in the in that area there, it's, it's, it's going to be bark still, and that has to be removed. So, you know, there's a lot of education and training that goes on, but then I do help inspectors sometimes and, you know, with inspections going in and, and just looking at facilities and actually doing an inspection. And that's a good thing because it, it kind of helps me keep my skills sharpened and, and when I'm discussing, you know, issues with facilities and, you know, and I understand, you know, there, when nonconformances come along, some of the challenges with that, I mean, if there's a lot of turnover in personnel, there can be, you know, changes in the quality of lumber based on the price. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of different things that can occur that affect a facility's ability to maintain conformance. And, you know, and I do understand that and we try and work with our facilities as best we can. But in the end, you still have to be consistently conforming. Makes sense. So the inspectors are the ones who are making sure that their machines are working properly or are they just inspect okay we don't we don't get involved with the machines okay the 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 closest thing we would do to that kyle would be the heat chamber okay we're going to walk into the heat chamber we're going to look at their their probes and their wiring and make sure that there's not any fraying or damage to that equipment gotcha Uh, check that we would make sure that uh the seals are intact so that they're keeping you know, the heat from uh, uh, seeping in through the, the entry hole where the probe is being inserted. So you know, those those are things that we would look at as far as, as equipment goes. But we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be looking at their at their pallet building machines oh, right. yeah. or, <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if we, you know, if they had an inkjet system or a brander, that, um, you know, we looked at the marks and the branders were off. And so you weren't getting a complete mark on there. I mean, we would bring that up, but we're, okay. as far as recommending, you know, this is the tolerance that you have to have in order to get a good brand on something. It's, you know, we, we just don't, we don't get involved with that. Gotcha. So you, you guys, and, and that makes sense, the whole manufacturing machinery and everything. So you do inspect their kilns and and heat chambers and things of that nature though making sure that they're getting up to temperature making sure that their probes are working properly um correct correct so okay any any facility that has a heat chamber is also you know for every charge that they run is going to need to generate uh some sort of a report and it's got to be some digitally created report uh that we can look at and see the ramp up time make sure that, uh, you know, there was a proper ramp up time. If, if the temperature went from 80 degrees to 140 in like 10 minutes, that's an indication that, uh, there was probably a probe that wasn't properly sealed or even placed in the, uh, in the pallets in the chamber. Interesting. Identify a problem. So we want a proper ramp up time. You know, we want to make sure that it meets that minimum of 140 degrees because the, the way, the way ALSC has this, uh, set up is that uh, most facilities will run at 140 degrees for the 30 minute minimum and it's got to be 30 consecutive minutes 
So those reports, we're checking them to make sure that time temperature requirement is being met. Gotcha. And uh, if it's not met, then you know that would be what we would identify as a non-conformance, and uh, then that would be kind of a a mark against the facility where we have to come back and check and make sure that issue was corrected on a subsequent visit. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense, uh, and I appreciate you you clarifying all that and and um, laying it out. So. So you're not the one that necessarily goes and makes sure that that their equipment is working properly anymore. It's more like the inspectors, and then the inspectors yeah, have you if need be. Yeah, we can. Okay. When it comes to heat chambers, we can identify, uh, you know, if, if there's a problem. Maybe there's a probe that's not working properly, you know, based on the reports. Now, a facility can do that themselves. Uh, you know, if if a, if a probe is throwing a couple of error codes. And, you know, they can catch that, they can contact, you know, whatever the manufacturer of the probes or the chamber is and have new probes sent to them and replace those so that they can fix that problem. That's the best scenario. But if we come in and and we identify the problem uh, before the facility identifies it themselves, then that's when it creates a nonconformance for them. Gotcha. And and obviously you guys are ensuring that you know i mean like if they're operating these things they they know the rules they know where they should be operating within so it's they should be doing their due diligence to read the reports and and make sure they're checking that they're staying within uh guidelines that's right that's right we're um you know when we when a facility joins our program uh, the standard or the um protocol is to go into the facility and do what's called a qualification. And okay. that's where we bring a set of QC procedures and we go over it with personnel there. Uh, part of that involves the heat chamber and what's required with it if they have a heat chamber. Um, so we are, we're explaining what the responsibilities are for the program, what the requirements and the standard is. And we'll work with anybody there that would be involved with the manufacture and stamping of the material. Once we're comfortable with their understanding, then we'll order the size and types of stamps that they're needing. And then once they receive them, they're ready to start marking for conformance in the program. Gotcha. So you you guys give the stamps to them because, oh, well, it has your trademark on it and everything, right? Exactly. So. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we, we basically, when they join our program, we're assigning uh, a number to them. That's, you know, that we're licensing that number to them. And that's, that number is what goes on the stamp. And the stamp, the number on the stamp is a three or four digit number. Excuse me. Um, it is actually a five or six digit number. Uh, the first two numbers of the stamp relate to the agency that's monitoring gotcha. the facility. So, uh, and it was done in alphabetical order uh, when the when this was done. So Timber Products is 16. Oh. Uh, that's our number. Okay. And then, you know, we have four numbers after that, which is the actual number of the facility. Some agencies have three numbers. Uh, so, uh, and the reason this came about is uh, before this, there was just the three or four numbers for the eight, you know, that identified the facility. And then there was the agency trademark or identification on the stamp as well. Well, um, there were some, what they call interceptions. Uh, and an interception is uh, where another country has found an indication that there, uh, that there's an infestation of the regulated pests under IPPC. And, but all they sent was the number. And I don't know if it was a three or four digit number, but they didn't send any other information. So there was no way for the USDA to determine who that number was licensed to. Gotcha. And the, the way to fix that then was to assign a number to the agency so that if they do just send a number again, they're going to know which agency it is and which facility it is that that agency is overseeing or monitoring. Gotcha. Makes sense. So there's been a lot of learning and growing this um, 
regulation and and the protections that exist um so and how recent was was that like as as it hasn't been from the get-go obviously <laughs> no it's but it, it's been since i've been uh okay. working in the program which is a little over 12 years so okay it, uh, it was it was a little before that uh, from what i understand and uh, but you know for at least 12 years you know we've had the the five or six digit numbers okay gotcha all right on so i'm just gathering everything in my head too um to make sure that I'm like questions that I have and people that questions that people might have are, are answered. Um, there was one thing I'm trying to think about. I wanted to say, um, it's gone, it's gone away from me. So I'm going <laughs> to hand it back to you real quick. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's quite all right. So, yeah. you know, we, so we've talked about the new pallets. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about the repaired pallets, right? But you know, there's a whole other world of of boxes and crates oh. that that uh, you know we really haven't covered. And then yeah, you know, there's there's just so many other different wood packaging uh, categories out there. You yeah, know, you've got saddles. You've uh, there are uh, customized skids and and whatnot. I mean. You know, there's there's skids that are so large that you know they have to be of a certain size or built with hardwood, you know, like oak, mm-hmm. because a train part's going to go onto it, and it's it's huge. Gotcha. Uh, so you know, there is a there's a whole different realm uh, beyond pallets, but pallets is a huge part of the program. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and this is where a lot of times you run into uh, situations where engineered material is used along with it you know so boxes you know the the boxes may be covered with osb or they may be covered with plywood okay and what's osb osb is oriented strand board it's it's okay. the um it's kind of large chips uh a board made out of larger chips with resin and glues and it, oh. you see it a lot okay. being used on um on roofs now okay Gotcha. Yes, uh, I know. What you're, I can picture it now. Just like a bunch of chips all kind of glued together. And yeah, t- yeah. Okay. Exactly, gotcha. Exactly. And so, but they use this in, in the manufacture of boxes and crates. And so, you know, some boxes uh, may have what we call an external wood skeleton that they're, you know, that the plywood, the, the wood is assembled to the outside of the plywood or particle board or OSB, whatever that is that makes up the box and then it's assembled together. Um, the other way is an internal skeleton okay. uh, where, you know, your two by fours and, and, you know, whatever you're using to, uh, assemble the OSB, you know, the, uh, the walls of the box to, um, that's going to be on the inside and, and each of those is handled a little differently based on whether your skeleton, your solid wood skeleton is on the outside of the box or it's on the inside of the box. And, uh, so, and this is where some of those nuances come into play. Gotcha. Where, you know, you've got, you know, the ALSC regulations are very general that, um, and I, I, IPPC where, you know, the mark has to be applied to two opposite sides of the packaging at a minimum. Okay. But, you know, when it comes to uh, a box, you know, a lot of how you apply that is determ- de- determined by whether it's an exterior skeleton or an interior skeleton. Hmm. And, and so this is where, you know, um, you know, I'm talking to facilities and communicating to them. And, and some of this I put, I've, I've got a monthly newsletter that I put out to oh. our uh, clients. Okay. That receive this. And a lot of this information is on, on that newsletter. And so, you know, I try and be very proactive about communicating information like that to our clients. So they're not sitting there trying to figure out what's what. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and again, you know, when we go in and do the initial qualification, a lot of what's communicated is based on um, what the what the facility is doing. 
You right. Know, if they're building crates and boxes, you know, we're going, you know, our, our qualification is going to be geared towards that type of situation as opposed to repaired pallets or new right. pallet manufacturer. So a lot, a lot of what we do as far as how we address the facility, how we get them into the program, a lot of that is determined by what they're, what they're manufacturing and how they're planning on using the mark. Okay. So if someone was interested in, in getting into the program, where, how would they go about that? They would give me a call. <laughs> okay. I would, I would make sure that they got into the program. This, gotcha. is, this is where uh, we come up with the shameless plug for timber products. And of course. Yeah. No, that's, that's what I was going for. So yes, please do that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I can, I can give you my cell phone. Uh, it is six seven eight four eight you, zero. You want it out there? I do. Okay, okay. Go ahead. Just want to make sure. Here, go okay. ahead. Repeat it again. Sorry, just in case six, I can. Six seven eight. Okay. Four eight zero two four five one. Okay. And uh, I would love to talk to anybody who is interested in getting into the program, uh, helping people get into the program and get where they need to be so they can legally ship material overseas or produce something that can legally be shipped overseas. That's what I'm here for. I'm here here to answer questions. I'm here to help our clients or potential clients get to where they need to be and successfully marking material for conformance. Excellent. No, and I I appreciate you sharing that and, and um, you know, hopefully people will use that and, and be able to contact you and learn from you and find out what they need to do to get into the program. Um, I was curious, and obviously, you know, you did just plug your own co- company, but is there, how many other are there? Like how many other country or companies are there? Because you guys, you cover the whole country, correct? We cover, we cover uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cover Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, any of the territories they can be in the um, the IPPC program. Okay. Uh, under U.S. oversight, uh, we can't go into countries like Canada or Mexico. Um, you know, they're you know they've got their own programs. Okay. But we we do uh, we do have uh, as far as anything that is going to be used in the U.S. as heat treated. It has to be monitored by an ALSC uh, accredited agency. So, you know, having said that, um, you know, we have inspectors in Europe uh, that are inspecting for, you know, grade quality and, you know, whether something is meeting HT requirements. Uh, we also do a lot of work in South America hmm. on the same, in the same arena. Uh, not so much for grade quality, uh, but for the heat treating side of it. You know, countries like Brazil, there's really only two uh, uses for uh, lumber there. One is for pallet parts, and the other is for concrete forms. Hmm. Uh, they don't use they don't use lumber like we do here to you know to build uh, residential and commercial structures. Uh, Interesting. So, uh, so yeah, there's there's that as well. So we, you know, we have inspectors down there and, uh, you know, I will, you know, to kind of build on the shameless plug again. Again. Yes. That's what this is. Yeah. We are the largest agency in the U S for this program. Awesome. And, you know, but we're, I can tell you, we're not the cheapest, (laughs) but the reason, the reason we, um, we are the largest in spite of that is because we take care of our clients and we understand our clients and we want to help our clients to meet conformance. And we don't go in as the pallet police. We go in as, <laughs> as inspectors who are wanting to collaborate with facilities to help them meet conformance. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, again, that, that I wanted to give you, you know, the opportunity to share that those were going to be, we're coming up on an hour. So, um, yeah, I was going to say, you know, is there, is there any kind of closing thoughts that you wanted to share with people? Um, if, if they're interested in learning more, I mean, your, your website will be linked in, um, the descriptions of everywhere that I post this so they can obviously go there. 
uh, I can be sure to include your LinkedIn as well so they can contact you through that. But yeah, I want to I want to open it up to you. I know that you did just plug, but you know, what are some some ending uh, comments, things that you might want to share with people who either want to get into the program, learn about the program, or, or even just to kind of f- learn more about the things that we discussed today? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I know that there are some uh, companies that that really don't see the benefit of the program. They, you know, in, in some cases, you know, I've heard it said that it's just another way for the government to pick their pockets. But it is, it is a very important program. Uh, and since its inception, there has been no documented case of any pests from other countries coming into the U.S. Um, and, and so it is a very important program. It's a program that uh, I believe is, uh, is important that we maintain and that we properly uh, oversee and utilize in the U.S., and you know, I guess that that would be my parting thought on that. And, and I'm like I said, I am more than happy to talk to anybody who has questions about the program, you know, whether it's something that they feel like they should get in or not. You know, some people some people don't need the program. You know, they're they're only, um, you know, they're only shipping something two or three times a year mm. uh, that needs to be that needs to be IPPC marked. We you know, we have a program for that as well. Um, you know, at some point facilities ship enough material that they would need to probably consider getting into the program full time, but, um, that's not the case for everybody. And, you know, I want to encourage people, you know, that it's very, it is very important as well to protect the integrity of the program, you know, making sure that, you know, they report any suspicious marks that, they might see so that, um, you know, the agency that that mark may be assigned to can follow up. If it's TP, we will definitely follow up on it because we take it extremely seriously. Yeah. It's, it's not only affects the integrity of the program for the country, but it, it affects, uh, the competitiveness of our clients. And, Hmm. uh, you know, I don't like anybody cheating on this program and I will vigorously do everything I can to track them down and hold them accountable. Batman. (laughs) (laughs) He's a detective, you know, (laughs) that's where I felt it was relevant, but, um, that, that was great. No, I, I, and I really appreciate you, you sharing everything that you did today, coming on and speaking with me. This was something that I was really looking forward to. I know that we've been trying to track each other down for a bit. Um, so I'm glad that we were able to finally sit down and and have this conversation. I feel like there was a lot of good information and insight in here. I learned a lot today as far as the regulations and rules go, um, and just how heat treating as a whole works. So, I'm extremely appreciative. I am looking forward to, um, you know, including all the information for your company uh, down in the links below so people can find it. Uh, obviously, your, your phone number as well is included in here. I can even put that down in the description so people can contact you directly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's, I feel good about that conversation. Again, is there is there anything else that you think parting you'd like to say, do? Well, I really enjoyed this, Kyle. I mean, I, I I think it's a great forum for discussing it. You know, we only scratched the surface. Yeah, on, we'll have on to have program. you back. Uh, there's there's so many different areas or different things that could be talked about more in depth. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I welcome the opportunity to to come on again. Should Absolutely. The present itself. Yeah, I mean, of course. I've if you you tell me the other things that I that we didn't talk about, and then that way I can do a little bit of research to have some questions for you. But yeah, I would I would love that. I think that um that that's what this is. It's it's meant to be a place for people to come and listen to all of these things that are involved in the pallet industry, and I mean things that directly affect them. Uh, again, I I can think of so many different instances of conversations of heat treatment that I've had with people that that I've seen within the Facebook group. Um, 
So I'm going to use this opportunity to plug my myself and my own things as well. Um, and I hope that if if you're not in there already, you know, feel free to join the Facebook group, Palette Professionals. Um, I think that your insight would be greatly appreciated and helpful within there and being able to talk to people. Um, because again, he, the conversation of heat treatment shows up very often. Um, uh, as far as the Palette Plug website, obviously check that out. There might be some clients of yours on the website already. Um, if you are a Palette business and you're listening to this, check out the website. It is meant to help bring Palette businesses together and make them be found online more easily. Um, yeah, I mean, that's if, if you've made it this far, I'd appreciate subscribing to the podcast. It's very helpful and very much appreciated. Also, feel free to like the video. Uh, but I think I think those are my parting words as well. Matt, uh, I, again, I, I greatly appreciate you coming on today, taking the time to speak with us and, and giving uh, information freely so those can learn and make sure that they are, like you were saying, um, and of course, the words are getting away from me right now, honoring uh, and just ensuring the integrity of, of this program continues to be the way that it is. And um, yeah, we can obviously it's it's put in place to help protect our country and others. So I think that it's super helpful and I'm very grateful to, to have you on to learn about it. It's been a pleasure, Kyle. Excellent. Awesome, Pat. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you.